This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. You're listening to The Assist with Trevor Hart. week in basketball. I don't know what to tell you. It's just this time of the year really seems to be slow. We're getting ready for playoffs. I feel like it should be going a little bit quicker, but man, another slow week, but we'll get into the news and we got a little bit of a history lessons for you today, so that'll be interesting. All right, so for stars, Anthony Davis is back on the Lakers. This means that the uh, whole Western Conference will probably be set ablaze, especially when LeBron comes back here in, I think, like a week or so. It's going to be really quick when he's going to be coming back. But, yeah, AD's back. It's going to be really fun to watch those guys in the playoffs. We know they're going to make the playoffs. I believe now they're in the fifth seed. They'll make their way up there. I mean, it's going to be easier competition, honestly, for those guys, the lower that they are. So, I mean, well, that's not true. It'll still be easy for those guys. They'll most likely make it to West Conference Finals. I really am interested to see where everyone lines up and how that side of the bracket will play off because the eastern side of the bracket, uh, I don't really know how that's going to work out. I kind of feel like the Nets are just going to roll over everyone. But AD is back, and uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch the Lakers. Be sure to tune in to those guys. Now, the main storyline from Thursday was that Houston Rockets, Kevin Porter Jr. became the fourth youngest player to ever score 50 points. He's the youngest to ever have a 50.10 assist game, beating out LeBron James. It's very interesting because this is something you're really going to see from a team like the Rockets. They have, they've just got rid of everything that made them good over the past couple years. And they signed really young guys. I mean, they have John Wall. But, I mean, like, he's injured, so not really going to see much from him. So, it's really a time for the young guys to really just play. And it's really interesting to see Kevin Porter Jr. go out and just do his thing, score 50. And this is something that a lot of people thought that uh, Kevin Porter Jr. would do right out of college. Like, everyone saw, thought of him as a big scorer, could really do a lot. But he got drafted by the Cavs, I believe. Or he got traded by the Bucks. Drafted by the Bucks, traded to the Cavs. I'll have to look that up after the show to make sure I'm right on that. But went to the Cavs, really got in a, kind of a bit of trouble. I can't really remember what it was at that point. But now he's in Houston. He's doing fine. And I really am interested to see where he goes from here. Looking at the list of the youngest players with 50-point games... Number one is Brandon Jennings, Jennings, which I don't even know. Brandon Jennings had such high hopes. Really, when I started getting into like NBA basketball, Brandon Jennings was like the next up-and-coming thing. He opted out of college to go play in Italy for professionally for a year and then got drafted by the Bucks. He was late to the NBA draft, so he... <laughs> Oh, man, if you didn't know if Brandon Jennings' career was going to go great after that, I don't know what you were thinking. He was late to the draft. He ended up having to come out on stage with, like, four picks after he got drafted. So that was very interesting. But, yeah, he had a 50-point game his rookie year with the Bucks. Then he, wins, then he goes to the Pistons, and uh, 
not great there. He was okay, but I mean, like, he's not fantastic or anything. And I believe he's out of the league at this point. Yeah, he's well out of the league. He went from, he's with the Bucks for three years, the Pistons for two, went to the Magic, then the Knicks, the Wizards, and then back to the Bucks. His nickname is the Pterodactyl, which is very interesting. I don't know where that came from. But, yeah, he was the number one uh, recruit in his draft class. But ended up deciding to go to Italy. It was really interesting. Uh, next on the list is LeBron. Obviously, LeBron was going to be a star. We all knew that. Devin Booker, really solid. And then LeBron again, about 200 days later, had another 50-point game. And then Kevin Porter Jr. So, like I said, I really am excited to see where Kevin Porter Jr. goes from this point out. I feel like we'll see a lot more bursts from him, especially at this late in the season. So that's pretty much it for the news of the week sorry like nothing has really happened other than like the Warriors losing which is gonna be interesting for playoffs but not really something I can go into much more depth than what it is so yesterday I was sitting in my room trying to figure out what can I talk about for Friday for the pod because I had no idea I started texting people saying hey what else what else happened this week they couldn't come up with anything so I decided to turn to Basketball Reference. Basketball Reference has a great tool. First of all, if you if you're a fan of basketball, you know what Basketball Reference does. Like, it's literally like Bill, I think Bill Simmons describes it as like the Bible. He says like some people have the Bible. I have BasketballReference.com. It's great for stats. Great for history. Just great for knowing a lot of different things. That's where I got Brandon Jennings' nickname, Pterodactyl. I got that from Basketball Reference. They have everything there for you. Go ahead and check those guys out. I really need to subscribe to Stathead if I want to continue doing this because just the comparisons and all that, I really want to get into that. I'll have to look into that. So they had a couple things there for me. I looked up through the week what has happened. There's one that really stood out to me. But then I I log on Twitter this morning, and I follow This Day in Sports Clips. And... On this day in 1992, the Lister Blister happened, which, of course, Sean Kemp absolutely eviscerated Alton Lister and had, (laughs) watching it right now, it's literally savage. But after he absolutely ruins basically his career, Alton Lister wasn't really that great anyways. But um, he decides while he's on the ground to point at him. Sean Kemp points at him a couple times saying, you got got pretty much. And that's just one of the greatest, it's one of the greatest dunks of all time for sure, but one of the greatest playoff plays, this is in the 1992 playoffs, Sonics against the Warriors, and every time I watch it, I just feel the pride (laughs) being from the same state as Sean Kemp. Of course, Sean Kemp went to uh, Concord and Elkhart. Yeah, he went to Concord and Elkhart. Uh, He was supposed to go to Kentucky. But then something happened that I can't really remember at the moment where he had to go to the community college. He ended up get, just getting drafted. He went to the NBA from there. Really interesting to his story on and all that. When he was with the Sonics, him and Gary Payton were an absolute tandem. They really couldn't be separated because, like, once they were, Gary Payton had an okay career afterwards. I mean... He got a ring in Miami, but he was like 40 years old, so he didn't really play that much. Fun fact, I actually have a uh, basketball card of Gary Payton from from his Miami days. And I remember looking at it and going, what? 
Because <laughs> it just, it didn't compute to me. And then you look at the back. He, he was in L.A. He was in Boston. I'm like, I thought he was in uh, Seattle his whole career. I was like, I don't know, 12 at the time, so I didn't know better. Yeah, Gary Payton tried to get a ring in Los Angeles when him and Carl Malone teamed up with Shaq and Kobe and all those guys where they looked like an absolute force that no one would take down. Ended up losing to the Detroit Pistons, which is one of my favorite teams because of how much they emphasized on defense. And that's another thing I really love about the league, or mostly the game, is that like what you see on paper isn't really, that's not going to happen. Like, Sure, I can make a prediction all I want. Like I said, the Nets will probably roll over the East. I don't know that for sure. Like, for all I know, like, no one saw the Heat coming to the finals last year, and I still stand by they could have won if Drogic and Adebayo didn't get hurt in game one. That really turned it over. But, like, those guys you see, this team looks really good on paper. They're going to win a million games. That's not really the case. So I love seeing that. That's Gary Payton's side of things. Now, Sean Kemp, he did okay, I guess. I mean, if I remember right, he went to Cleveland, then to Portland, then to Orlando. I believe that's it. But he really just kind of faded away. I think he made a couple All-Star games when he was with Cleveland. So Kemp kind of... It's kind of a toss-up, like, Gary Payton got a ring, but he was, like, 40 years old. Sean Kemp made a couple All-Stars in Cleveland. Yeah, those two were a tandem. I really wish they could have stayed together more, and I really wish that Seattle still had a team. And those those are some of the most loyal fans ever, and it got ripped away from them. So it's really important to see, but, man, I cannot stop watching this dunk over and over again. Like, this, if you go ahead and watch highlights of – Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, but do individually as well, but also as a tandem. Those guys were amazing. And they thought they were going to take down Michael Jordan and the Bulls when they won 72 games, but that didn't happen. Made a good run at it, but didn't happen. So that's what happened today in 1992. So then the other thing that happened, the one thing that I found on Basketball Reference where I was like, I could actually talk about this and we could have a decently sized episode was that Ed McCauley and Cliff Hagen were traded to the St. Louis Hawks. And I guarantee you're thinking, what does that have to do with anything? Those are two people I haven't even heard of. Well, you probably should have heard of Cliff Hagen. He's a, he's a, he was really good in St. Louis. He's a hall of famer. McCauley's a hall of famer too, but really I didn't know who he was until I watched the uh, 30 for 30 on the Celtics versus Lakers. By the way, check that out. That's an amazing three-part doc there. And that was back when I was like, man, three parts? Who's going to outdo three parts on a documentary, especially with something as big as the Celtics and Lakers? Well, The Last Dance came around. They did ten parts, and it was just about the Bulls for... (laughs) Like, Celtics-Lakers covers from the 60s to the 80s, and the Bulls doc covers from 83 to 98. And they did seven more episodes. But I digress. Why is this so important, as you were asking earlier? Why do I have to... Why should I care that Ed McCauley and Cliff Hagen were traded to the St. Louis Hawks? Well, they were traded from the Celtics so the Celtics could get Bill Russell. The reason why uh, Red Auerbach did this, the coach and of the Celtics at the time, I think he was the GM, 
He was run. He was running the place. He saw that like we have really good guys, but they can't do crap on defense. Pretty much is what. It, that's pretty much the way they put it. So we needed a defensive player, and that was Bill Russell out of San Francisco. And it was really uh, interesting to see what Bill Russell has done since. Well, what Bill Russell did during his career was just insane. He turned a league that was a game that was completely offensive. The stars were like George Mikan before him, strictly all offense. George Mikan couldn't move 15 feet at a time. He, pre- I'm pretty sure he stayed at one end of the court most of the time. I don't know if that's true. I'm just making up a metaphor. Like that's how often he would move. He wasn't that very mobile, and he wasn't that great on defense. Bill Russell, when he was in college, had to learn how to stop blocking shots out of bounds and just giving the ball back. He had to learn to bring it back to his teammates in bounds. They did this in 1956. So 65 years ago, they decided to trade Ed McCauley, who was a great player, Easy, Easy Ed as he was named. That was his nickname. Was really good for the Celtics, but like you said, he didn't, he couldn't do anything on defense. And then there's Cliff Hagen, who ended up having a really great career with the Hawks. And just the amount of the guts that Red Auerbach had at that time, especially if you watch documentary on Celtics vs. Lakers, one of the first things they talk about. It wasn't very welcomed that they traded McCauley and Hagen to white players for Bill Russell because at that time Boston was a very like segregated city was very divided at that point in time and so Bill Russell decides to come in they decided to bring in Bill Russell and also Casey Jones was brought in that year in 56 which by the way 56 was a great draft year for the Celtics we'll get into that but uh the amount that like Bill Russell and Casey Jones and uh Satch Sanders at one point, he they would bring in everyone together to really unite this city. And like they say that Red Auerbach was the first person to draft a, an African American, the first person to start five African American players, and then he named he ended up naming Bill Russell the first African American coach in the modern era of sports because like he had the Negro Leagues in baseball. It was really interesting to see what happened, and um, Bill Russell even said that like Red was like the first coach to ever like stand up for me, because at one point there was a foul called on Russell where it was clearly a block, and Auerbach kept screaming at the ref and he got a technical. So he knew that he could go to bat. And it's a really great story. Again, I really recommend watching that thirty for thirty. It's uh, it's one of my favorites. I say that quite a bit whenever it comes to documentaries. I just love a good basketball documentary. Let's go ahead and talk about the 1956 draft for the Celtics. This was, it was really great. For some reason, I don't know if this is the way it was or if the website is weird for basketball reference. I'm just going to put this how weird the draft was because basketball reference is almost never wrong. But the first pick they took, Tom Heinsohn who was a great player for them. That was a territorial pick from Holy Cross. Territorial picks were a thing back then where if someone's, like, in your region, you can, like, secure them for you. I'm pretty sure it's what Bob Cousy was for the Celtics. But then the 
The Rochester Royals decide to take Cy Green from Duquesne. And then the Hawks take Bill Russell, but they end up trading trading him. But then in round two, the Celtics are the only one with one pick. And they have Casey Jones, who was a great player and great coach for the Celtics. He was Bill Russell's teammates at uh, San Francisco. Then round three. So that was round two, the ninth pick overall. Then the tenth pick is the third round where they took George Lynn, who I, who did not play. But then, this draft is really weird. Like, rounds 2 through 10 are just nine Boston Celtics picks. And then, it's labeled as other picks. Fort Wayne had, like, six in a row. Then Minneapolis had... A lot in a row, like 12, where they end up taking Elgin Baylor. So, so this is a great draft just by having Casey Jones, Elgin Baylor, and Bill Russell, and Tom Heinsohn. But then, like, the Knicks have, like, 12 in a row. Then the Warriors have 12 in a row. This is really weird. Then the Royals have a lot. But heck of a draft for the Celtics, yet two or three Hall of Famers, if I'm Correct on Casey Jones. Yep, you get three Hall of Famers, which Heinsohn. Yeah, I remember Heinsohn unfortunately passed away in November of last year. But I remember he was like top five in like Celtics categories and like total rebounds and like steals or something like that. I'm like pretty impressive for someone to do that when you're with Bill Russell your entire career. It's like, Heinsohn was insane. That's a great pick. I know it's a territorial pick, but a great pick. Then you trade for Russell. Then you get Casey Jones. You're off to the races. And they went on to have the greatest dynasty in the history of sports. I don't care what anyone else has to say about anything. We will never see a team win eight titles in a row and win 11 in 13 years. Never going to happen again. But with Bill Russell... Also coming in, I forgot to mention, back in the day, like teams would only have like one or two African American players, and they would be known as this is. I'm not saying this as like to offend anyone. This is the way that it was. This straight from the dock, they were called servant players. They were pretty much just role players. So Russell really changed that, and he became the probably the best player of that era. It's, it's honestly between him and Wilt Chamberlain. So And those two battling were amazing. I almost feel like if someone was to um, offer me the opportunity to travel back in time to just witness something in basketball history, I would al- it's tough because I would want to see Magic and Bird face off any time, really. I would just pick the best game. But I would really want to see Russell against Wilt. Because at one point, Bill Russell in the finals game had like 30 points and 40 rebounds. How is that even possible? And like, that's something that like Charles Barkley always always talks about with like big men from the past. And he says, man, you guys had no one to rebound against. You guys had 40 rebounds a night. I'm actually out here working. It's not fair. It was really... 30 and 40, that's... 
actually insane. That's not real. Like, that almost seems like it's fake. Almost like Wilt scoring 100 points. That's another thing. You know what? At some point, I will do a, a list of if I could travel back in time in basketball history, what would I, where would I go? That's a good idea. I'm going to write that down, actually. But um, just so you know, these two guys, Macaulay and Hagen, they're nothing to sneeze at. Ed McCauley had one, according to his uh, Hall of Fame bio, he glided down the lanes of the NBA for easy layups and precise hook shots, frustrating many of the game's greatest big men. And at that point, I would assume it would be like Bob Pettit would be one of them. This is how you know this is important, because in Ed McCauley's Hall of Fame bio, it says... In 1956, as a result of a trade that included the draft rights to Bill Russell, joined the St. Louis Hawks, winning a championship in 1958. You know that, like, when you're mentioned that, hey, you got traded for this guy, that really changed the course of history, especially for basketball. Also, with Ed McCauley, he was in the first ever All-Star game in 51. He scored 20 points and had six rebounds and was named the first All-Star game MVP. At age 32, Macaulay became the youngest person ever enshrined into the Hall of Fame. That's wild. It takes, I believe the cutoff is five years from retirement is when you're like first eligible. That makes sense because hmm, might be four. Because Kobe, he retired in 2016? And he was inducted last year. Four to five years. So he's the youngest ever. Like immediately they're like, yeah, go. You're in the hall. And then Cliff Hagen. He started Kentucky for for the Wildcats when he was in college. Including, they went 86-5 and five over his career. Including a 25-0 and zero season 54. And again, the Boston Celtics drafted Hagen only to trade him along with Ed McCauley to the St. Louis Hawks for a draft rights to Bill Russell. Again, if in your Hall of Fame bio where it's supposed to be about you and what you have done in the game and why you are in here, and it says this guy was traded for Bill Russell. Bill Russell did so much for the game that that he's his footprints or his not footprints, his fingerprints are everywhere. So with that being said, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. I will not be able to record next week. We have finals coming up, and I will be moving out on Thursday. So I will not be able to record on Friday in order to get an upload on Saturday. But I am not done for the summer. I have a setup at my house, and I will be able to record there, so I will get pods done over summer should be a couple weeks before i start doing it again maybe one or two depends on what goes on so we'll get that going for you and we will have more for you over the summer thank you for listening check me out on twitter at deverhart00 check me out on the storm center podcast where me and john k talk about trying sports and we have a special interview with bailey vandegeeson from the trying softball team And then follow the Triumph Broadcasting Network. The links are all in the description. Thank you for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Triumph Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Triumph University. 
Learn more at trine.edu.